This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Stuart Varney. I'm Kat Timpf, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, October 16th, 2023. I'm Grinnell Scott. The conflict between Israel and Hamas escalates, and as America stands with Israel, our government hopes to provide needed support and aid. Hamas clearly has had time to dig in, to prepare. They have fortified tunnels throughout the Gaza Strip. These are going to be very difficult operations. Republican Dan Sullivan is the junior United States Senator from Alaska. I'm Chris Foster. Social media is addictive, and there are bills introduced in the New York State Legislature meant to protect kids from getting so hooked. Where we're at right now, we've allowed the tech companies to write the rules of the road for how parents are going to raise their kids online, and you need to give that power back to the parents. And I'm James Carafano, and I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. We've all watched with intense horror and emotion hundreds killed in conflict in a war between Israel and Hamas that has spanned more than a week and shows no sign of ending. President Biden has been clear on the side the United States of America comes down on. For this moment, we must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. And we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack. He has also been clear in recent days that the actions of Hamas do not represent all of the Palestinian people. Still, our elected leaders watch and are stunned by the death and destruction left behind. They purposely focused on killing as many civilians as possible. Republican Dan Sullivan is in his second term as the junior United States senator from Alaska. The feelings of anger, outrage, shock, grief that we are feeling as Americans, that this is our most important ally, certainly in the Middle East, one of our most important allies in the world. And it's important to remember, we share their values. We are connected to them in many, many ways. And to witness that, I think... First and foremost, we need to stand with Israel and provide as much military and intelligence support as possible as they undertake this very dangerous but needed military operation to wipe out Hamas. But, you know, when I talk about the Middle East and, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time out there as a senator and a former Bush administration official and as a U.S. Marine The one thing I always like to mention is that the lens in which we need to view almost all of the terrorist activity occurring there is through the lens of the malign activities and influence of Iran. As you know, they fully fund and train Hamas, and they have been focused on killing Americans and Israelis for decades. So... I'm hopeful that 
the Biden administration is going to wake up, recognize that their appeasement policies with regard to Iran have to stop and reimpose the very comprehensive sanctions that the Trump administration had placed on the Iranian regime and the Iranian economy. And I think that's in some ways the most important way in which to deter a broadening of this conflict throughout the Middle East. You you talked about Iran, and on Sunday, your Senate colleague, uh, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, uh, talked about uh, a uh, trip with senators over to uh, the region to negotiate or to perhaps broker a peace between Israel and uh, Saudi Arabia. And in that, he issued a warning to Iran saying, essentially, do not push Hamas further into this conflict. And uh, it goes along with what you're saying is there needs to be a strong stand taken against Iran in this case. Well, I fully agree with um, Senator Graham's sentiment on this. Iran has been the focus of almost all the terrorism in in the region. And what they are going to be trying to do in terms of possibly widening this war We need to send an unequivocal message that they shouldn't be doing it. But let me give you one area, Grinnell, that I think we should all focus on as senators, as uh, federal officials, both in the executive and legislative branch, and it's regarding energy. This administration has come into office and literally shut down one of our great strengths, which is American energy. You literally have a Biden administration undertaking what I refer to as a policy of national security suicide. What we need to do, particularly with regard to energy, is recognize it as a huge American strategic advantage and produce our own energy and shut down the production of energy in terrorist states like Iran and Venezuela, who use it for malign influences, and in the case of Iran, for killing Israelis and Americans. And I, I will circle back to that in a, in a second, but I have a few other things I, I want to get to with you uh, in the sense of uh, with the uh, the Israeli Hamas conflict. We have strike groups there ready uh, and and waiting for orders. How ready should America be to step into this? Well, look, in terms of what's going to happen in Gaza, I think a couple things. A, this is going to be very difficult and bloody. Hamas clearly has had time to dig in, to prepare. They have fortified tunnels throughout the Gaza Strip. These are going to be very difficult operations. We need to support, um, as I mentioned, through military aid and intelligence, the IDF as it's going through this. And here's the other thing that I think is important. Our military, like the Israeli military, seeks to avoid civilian casualties in its operations. The groups, that, in particular Hamas or Hezbollah, uh, that the Israelis are focused on right now, Hamas and the Gaza Strip, they do the opposite. So that is going to be a much more challenging situation. It's also important to remember that um, they're likely... Uh, We don't have an exact number, but American hostages right now. And from my perspective, uh, I certainly hope that the president and the Department of Defense have our top 
military teams, whether it's Delta Force or SEAL Team 6, to be able to um, rescue American citizens. So that's going to be an important component of that. The broader element of what we can do at this moment, in addition to supplying military equipment and intelligence, is making sure we have the forces in the region that provide a deterrent effect to Iran from broadening this conflict. And that's why I am supportive of the carrier strike groups that are in the region, the Marine Expeditionary Unit. And I think right now that's going to be a critical component of deterrence. And um, that's going to be happening literally as we speak right now. You just spoke of uh, making sure there is aid available for the Israelis to defend themselves. And uh, your chamber's leader, Chuck Schumer, uh, is uh, in Tel Aviv, and he uh, talked about the Senate doing everything it can to put together a significant package uh, to help Israel defend itself. Now, that brings in that murky problem of the United States House, which is in a bit of disarray at this moment with no speaker. Let me ask you as a senator, how frustrating is that to look at this, knowing that we need to do or the U.S. needs to do as much as it can for Israel, but it's kind of hamstrung by a house with no speaker, which can't do business right now. Is that frustrating for you? Yes, it's frustrating. And look, I, I'm a U.S. Senator. I'm a U.S. Marine. Unlike a lot of my colleagues uh, in the Senate, I've never served in the House. So um, sometimes I'm puzzled by what's happening there where you have so-called conservative members of the House aligning themselves with all the Democrats in the House to take down Speaker McCarthy, and they're calling that conservative. They align with the AOC and some of the biggest liberals in the House of Representatives to take out the Republican leader of the House. How that is conservative, I'll never understand. But I'm hopeful that these big challenges that we're seeing, and by the way, it's it's the Middle East, but it's in Ukraine. It's an area that I focus a lot on, which is Taiwan, the Taiwan Strait, the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, Grinnell, we're seeing uh, what is almost certainly one of the most dangerous periods since World War II around the world. And uh, we need, as the Congress, to step up and demand that the Biden administration um, reverse so many of its policies that have undermined U.S. strengths. Um, I talked about energy. Uh, I talked about um, our military. As you know, the Biden administration has put forward military budgets to shrink the military. Every budget that this president put forward has been a cut. This current budget of the president um, shrinks the Army, shrinks the Navy, shrinks the Marine Corps. Uh, they've undertaken, as I mentioned, an appeasement policy with Iran. What we need is Congress speaking with strong voices to reverse these policies and bolster our national defense. You know, providing for the defense of our nation is probably the most important constitutional requirement and responsibility the United States Congress has. So I'm hopeful that given all of these circumstances, that it's going to motivate our House members to work together to elect a speaker. I know Jim Jordan quite well. 
I was going to, I was going to ask you, is, is Jim Jordan that voice? Well, I think it's, it's obviously up to the House. Um, I think he'd make a fine speaker. And so, but what we need are members of the House to um, bring him to that position soon. You did talk earlier about uh, energy independence, and, and a lot of us here in the lower 48 don't technically see a whole bunch of what goes on in your home state of Alaska. And you mentioned fossil fuels are, are, are abundant there. With the energy policy and the direction of energy that the country appears to be going, what do you see economically affecting people in your home state? Well, as I mentioned, one of our great strengths is our natural resources. We made enormous progress on many important resource development projects in Alaska, on critical minerals, on oil and gas during the Trump administration. The Biden administration has come in and essentially tried to reverse almost every single one of these. And to your point, that um, hurts jobs in my state. It also doesn't do anything for the environment because Alaska has the highest environmental standards on the production of natural resources and the development of natural resources of any place in the world, right? If you're not producing oil and gas in Alaska with the highest standards on the planet, and you're, you, but you want to get it from Venezuela, you're certainly not helping the environment globally. You're actually hurting it. And of course, it hurts my constituents directly in terms of jobs. But every American citizen should be concerned when Alaska, with its high standards on the environment, can't produce energy for America and the world. And I'm certainly hopeful that we're going to finally, once again, reimpose massive sanctions on Iran and unleash the huge potential of American energy, which is not just good for jobs, and good for our economy. It is an enormous element of American strength and power. All issues at home and abroad we are watching. Senator Dan Sullivan, a Republican from Alaska, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate talking to you. Okay, Grinnell, thanks. Keep up the great work and appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. This is James Carafano with your Fox News commentary. Coming up. There are risks and benefits to teenagers using social media. Benefits like socialization, self-expression, and exploration, learning about new things. And pitfalls like bullying, lower self-esteem, and a lack of sleep and exercise from phone addiction. Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy tells Fox Business he's concerned about it. Addictive social media products should not be used in kids under the age of 16. TikTok, but that includes other ones too. We have to say that kids aren't the same as adults. And there are bipartisan bills in Congress opposed by critics and the industry who say the bills would censor legal content and do nothing to actually protect kids. There's the Kids Online Safety Act, and the Protecting Kids on Social Media Act, co-sponsored by Arkansas Republican Tom Cotton, speaking to Fox about it in April. Our bill is a common-sense approach. If a child is, say, too young to sign a contract or too young to open a bank account, in the real world, they're too young to sign terms of service agreement and use social media 
in the digital world. Now, two bills in the New York State Legislature announced by Governor Kathy Hochul. She says social media companies may wake up one day. And say, ah, this is not good for young people. Despite our profits and corporate interests, you know what? This is bad for kids and we're going to stop. Or we'll find a way to have controls, right? Hoping is not a strategy. One of those bills meant to shield kids' personal data. The other aimed at limiting exposure to addictive feeds curated by algorithms. Yeah, you know, this is something that most users on any platform don't really even realize is going on. They think it's entirely random what they're seeing on their feed. Jake Denton is a research associate in the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, In reality, everything is part of a recommendation system. And so most of these things that come up after you've gone through those folks that you follow or subscribe to are a product of what you've interacted with previously on the platform. And so it recognizes what gives you the most satisfaction. So it calculates, you know, how long you stare at a given post. And then it asks, you know, what was unique about this post? And because we're on these platforms for so long, the algorithm is able to train and really refine what each user prefers. Uh, The real goal here is to make you stay as long as possible. So the goal here of this um, bill in New York State is to basically give parents more power to prevent kids from using parts of these platforms that rely so much on the algorithms. I assume every part of those platforms rely on algorithms, but I guess maybe some more than others. First of all, can't kids just find a way around the parental controls? And I assume they all have parental controls, but are they not vigorous enough? You know, every kid at this point in time has an Instagram and they aimlessly scroll through it. Instagram has the option to turn that off in the back end, uh, but it's not set by default. And so the average parent is completely unaware that you can go in and turn off the algorithmic recommendations or really use any of these parental controls. And so what New York is trying to do is essentially when that child creates the account, we start off with the strongest base layer of parental controls. And so for the parent who didn't know this was even a possibility, now they at least have that in place. And, you know, kids naturally are more technically savvy than their parents. And so they'll find a way around this. But it gives the parents at least a, a level playing field here. You know, there's a long ways to go. But I think where we're at right now, we've allowed the tech companies to write the rules of the road for how parents are going to raise their kids online. And you need to give that power back to the parents, which is what this type of legislation does. Yeah. So it's, it almost just turns it into an opt out thing instead of an opt in thing where the platforms will have to just if this happens in New York State, I assume they'll just have to put it in place everywhere rather than have yeah. specific rather than have specific platforms for New York State. It's really it's always tough to say if they're going to, you know, make it geo based or just roll it out nationwide. And it's, you know, something that every other state needs to consider, too. If You know, if you want to have uh, your state's best interests at play, you should probably pass your own bill yourself. Right. I mean, you don't want to live under New York's jurisdiction. You got to pass your own. So uh, at the very least, this could incentivize some movement across the country as well. How is it monetized, especially with kids? It's not just, you know, evil, let's get kids addicted. There's a, the idea is to make money off this thing. Yeah, you know, kids are essentially super users for these platforms. They have the highest screen time and they show the most engagement. Uh, this really is their social network. They've grown up on these platforms and it's where most of their relationships are. Uh, you know, it's very sad, but it's the reality. And so uh, they're essentially the ideal data mine for these companies. They're producing really rich data. And it eventually goes back to the advertisers and the advertisers are given the opportunity to do an ad spend on the platform to market a product or an experience. 
And those kids are what's really giving the data to Instagram to market a profitable uh, ad experience. Um, and not only do they not get anything in return, you know, they're not compensated for this. It results in some pretty horrific uh, trends. We see depression on the rise. We see, uh, you know, eating disorders and things like that come out of the way these kids use these platforms. And so when you really boil it down to its simplest form, Instagram is profiting on some really abusive uh, business features. Uh, Montana, for example, has tried to just outright ban TikTok. That's that's facing legal challenges. Is there a happy medium here where kids get to do their scrolling and and be involved in what is now their culture uh, without as many of the harmful side effects? Well, for a platform like TikTok, there really is no happy medium. That just simply has to be banned wholesale. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with you know China's role in this. Uh, we can't really trust them to act in good faith. They've proven that they lie at every turn. So we have to just disregard them uh, as a potential uh, platform. We just need to ban them outright. And, you know, Montana is going through that legal battle, but the right thing to do here is the ban and states should pursue that. Um, we just need to move on these types of things. We have to make sure that parents aren't outgunned at every turn when it comes to their battles with these social media platforms. How about grownups? If you know, the thinking here is, okay, you can protect yourself. You're, you know, you're a grown up and you can choose how to use these social media platforms or not. But I assume there's some harm there as well, psychologically, financially. But how do you balance? This is their money. Like, this is how they make money is these algorithms. You know, to understand this perfectly, it's like the same digital literacy issue that's stopping parents from protecting their kids online is affecting the parents themselves, right? I mean, the same way that they don't understand how to protect their kids, and they're putting themselves in jeopardy for those same trends. They don't identify what's going wrong on these platforms. The use patterns look a little different, and the downstream effects are a little different. Instead of, you know, maybe driving rich ad data that they can sell to advertisers, they're the ones purchasing the products that are marketed towards them uh, in a very selective fashion, right? I think that's unique effect for these kind of adults that are using the platforms. They actually have the money to spend on the products that are being marketed and they're buying things that they otherwise wouldn't have. You know, parents are subjected to this stuff too. Uh, average adults, uh, you know, these young professionals themselves, like, uh, they have to grapple with all of this. And similarly, as the child, they don't really understand what's going on on the back end. They think everything is random or they think that the algorithm doesn't have data that could really manipulate them. But that manipulation has been going on for such a long time. They can't even identify it. It's uh, it's really horrifying. So what's the answer? I mean, rather, you're not going to ban social media outright for kids or for adults. Is there a way so that they can make their money and people can live happier, healthier lives using them? Yeah, I think really what it comes down to, first and foremost, we need to up our digital literacy in this country. People need to understand what these platforms are and how they operate. That's going to require, you know, just greater public service work, right, of explaining these things. You know, for long-term legislative solutions, I think greater opt-in features, you know, requiring people to actually choose to use the platforms rather than opt out of them or choose to use these features rather than uh, to opt into them is probably the way to go. I think, you know, you're never going to ban social media, um, but there are things we can do to make the usage healthier. Um, and a lot of that comes with the relation to the algorithms. And so starting with kids is a logical first step. And if we see a real correction here where these depression numbers get better and the eating disorder numbers get better, then we have to start talking about, you know, what are the effects on adults as well? Um, and so I think those same solutions of opt in versus opt out 
uh, is a, a huge potential path forward for us. And so something we'll have to consider long term, certainly for all users. The algorithms are so good that a lot of people think Facebook must be literally listening to me because I was talking to a friend about this or that. I was thinking about this or that and bam, up pops a feed. It wasn't that they were listening to you. It was that it's so well able to predict what you want. That's why you see it. We've always heard this thing of like the algorithm knows you better than you do. And it's kind of just become like a catchphrase. People don't really even think about what that means. But the real result of that is they can guide you down these journeys that you never would have gone down. Uh, you know, you search some news topic and they recommend you a video and suddenly your whole perspective has been changed because you went down this rabbit hole of like a 15 video thread uh, that they catered for you. And maybe that ends in a different uh, political view or perspective that you take on, or maybe it ends with you purchasing a new product that you otherwise would have had no interest in buying. And you know, people have that idea of like, it recommended me this product after I talked about it, that's scary. But then they continue to use the platform and they don't really consider the consequences of that recommendation or the places where they didn't maybe even realize that that same phenomenon had happened in a more subtle fashion. So Jake, uh, there's also a bill besides the bill about the al algorithm limitations. There's a bill uh, aiming to protect kids' privacy by by stopping platforms from collecting data. How will that work? And again, how will the platforms continue to make money? Yeah, so there's another separate proposal that limits the ability of platforms to collect data on users under the age of 18 unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, and this is a principle we talk about often in D.C. called data minimization. Really what this boils down to is these companies have gotten very comfortable collecting all sorts of data that have nothing to do with the platform, whether that's your health data, whether that's, uh, you know, all sorts of consumer uh, kind of tracking uh, software that they use. It has nothing to do with the way the platform functions at its core. Uh, this is purely just a way to profit off of each individual user to a greater degree. And so what this seeks to do is for users under the age of 18 to eliminate that because it all fills into this kind of algorithmic recommendation pipeline uh, that keeps you on the platform longer. It's very predatory uh, in nature. And so what they're doing here is stopping a platform from collecting things uh, beyond maybe your just sign-in uh, information or your geolocation, right? These things that are uh, central to the actual app's functions, uh, but have nothing to, uh, the other types of data have nothing to do with how the app operates. So this is another kind of positive proposal here that we've all kind of just come to accept that they're going to collect every piece of data they possibly can, uh, but we've never stopped and asked why we should allow that. Jake Denton uh, does tech policy research at the Heritage Foundation. Thanks, Jake. Yep. Thanks for having me. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday marks 100 years since Walt Disney and his brother Roy founded the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio, known today as the Walt Disney Company. Tuesday, the Senate Judiciary Committee will hold a hearing looking into the future of college sports, focusing on name, image, and likeness rights for student-athletes. And Netflix releases the docu-series The Devil on Trial, focusing on the only time demonic possession was used as a defense in a U.S. murder trial. Wednesday, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will hold a hearing on the nomination of former Treasury Secretary Jack Lew to serve as U.S. Ambassador to Israel. Thursday is the chance to make a new acquaintance on National New Friends Day. 
Friday, the Martin Scorsese true crime film Killers of the Flower Moon debuts in theaters. The award buzz garnering flick stars Oscar winners Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Matt Napolitano, Fox News. Hey, everyone, it's Kennedy, and you can listen to my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It's going five days a week on the Fox News Podcast Network. We're bringing you all the fan favorites. Listen on Spotify, Apple, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. James Carafano. What's on your mind? We're hearing a lot about what President Biden said in Tuesday's address on Hamas's outrageous attack on Israel. What's missing, though, is for while he was careful to denounce this brutal, inexcusable act of terrorism, Biden ignored the key role played by his own disastrous policies and left Americans largely clueless as to how his administration would respond to this major test of U.S. leadership. So let's recap what we didn't hear. Number one, ghosting on Iran. It is common knowledge that Biden was trying to buy the Iranians off with a massive payout for hostages. Add to this gaps in sanctions big enough for the biggest oil tankers to sail through and virtual silence on Iran's human rights record, support for terrorism, and destabilizing activities in the region and Latin America. Biden had hoped that Iran would keep a low profile at least until after the 2024 elections. Tehran's payback to the US and Biden was not only to cheerlead as Hamas terrorists decapitated babies, but to likely assist in supporting and planning the terror campaign. The president could not even bring himself to mention Iran in Tuesday's speech. That's clearly a signal that the administration is clueless what to do now that it's been hit with irrefutable evidence that its Iran policy has utterly and completely failed. Number two, ignoring Russia. Russia has declared itself all in for Hamas, a market shift in Moscow policy, Further, there are reports that Russian mercenaries may have assisted in training and preparing Hamas's shock troops, and there are additional reports that Russians smuggled captured arms to Hamas and then spread a false flag that these arms were sold by Ukrainians to Hamas on the black market. Both Russia and Iran clearly believe that a spiraling war in the Middle East will overstretch and distract the United States. Now gives us a no-plan plan for dealing with a dual global crisis. All we have from the White House is that Ukraine can expect a blank check for as long as it takes. For Israel, we get finger-wagging not to overreact. The signal this sends to both Moscow and Tehran is that Washington is just making it up as it goes along. It is amateur night writ large when we need true professionals at work. Number three, gaslighting on the border. Israel gets hammered with Pearl Harbor from Gaza with virtually no warning. Meanwhile, the U.S. has the most open border on Earth. Millions of illegals have poured into the U.S. without even being observed by border agents, let alone vetted. We know that this flood includes people from all over the world. We know it includes people on tourist watch lists. We know this because in recent months we have called unprecedented numbers of them at the border. The odds that they are the only ones are less than zero. Yet in his speech Tuesday, the president had nothing to assure Americans that he's prepared to safeguard us from the next 9-11. Number four, anti-Semitism gets a pass. 
a long list of yahoos from the squad in Congress to BLM to radicals at Ivy League universities have reacted to Hamas atrocities by attacking Israel. The president has a deep, insidious, and pernicious problem with anti-Semitism in his own party. Tuesday's speech presented a perfect opportunity for him to call them out and declare that unacceptable. He didn't take it. But Americans looking for real leadership can't help being disappointed by a president who appears to be going through the motions at a uniquely critical time. I'm Jim Carafano at the Heritage Foundation. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.